You are listening to the Sensible Project Manager Podcast, Episode 11. Today's topic, Project Management Challenge, with five guests, Elaine Jackson, Matthew Davis, Simon Buring, Alan Daly, and David Hammersling. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager Podcast at SensiblePM.com where you get an insider's edge on practical project management. Now, here is your host, Mark Phillip. Welcome to the Sensible Project Manager podcast. My name is Mark Phillippe, and I am the Sensible Project Manager. In this episode, I am pleased to share with you a great discussion we held on Google Plus Hangouts as part of the Sensible Project Manager Hangout community. This is a community of project managers that talk about project management, and each week we get together using the Google Plus Hangout platform and talk about project management topics. For this particular Hangout, I invited five panelists representing three different project management methodologies or frameworks. Elaine Jackson, who actually uh, suggested this topic to me, and Matthew Davis are going to represent PMI or a PMP point of view. Simon Burring is going to represent Prince2. Alan Daly and David Hammerslag is going to represent an agile approach or using Scrum. I gave each of the panelists a project challenge to solve using their favorite project management methodology or framework. Now, each hangout is about an hour long. To save some time, I am going to start the hangout at the beginning of the introductions of the panelists. So, let's strap in and get to it. And now, today's feature. We'll start with you, Alan. We'll just go across the, the board and yourself, and then also tell us which approach you're going to be representing. All right. Um, hi, I'm Alan Daly. Uh, I've been on the, the show a couple of times, three or four times. I don't know. Uh, I'm an Agile coach uh, with a company called Big, Big Visible Solutions. Um, obviously, I'll be kind of representing the Agile Scrum approach in our little challenge here. Great. Welcome. David. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. And you look great, too. Thank you. I'm David Hammerslag. I work along with Alan at Big Big Visible Solutions, where I do uh, lean and agile coaching and consulting. Thank you for inviting me this morning. Well, thank you for for coming and joining us. All right. Elaine. I'm Elaine Jackson, the CEO and owner of Holistic Project Management Consulting. It's great to be here, part of this challenge, and I'm looking forward to the information shared. Great. And thank you, Elaine, for uh, suggesting, uh, coming up with a suggestion, and this is going to be a great topic. So, Okay. Matthew. Well, hello. My name is Matt Davis. I am the Vice President of uh, Consulting Services with a company called PM Providers. Uh, We're a uh, Microsoft partner, and I'm also a uh, PMP, of course, from the Project Management Institute, so I'll be uh, working with Elaine representing the the PMI perspective here. Great. Thank you, Matthew. And Simon. Hi there. Yeah, my name is Simon Buring. I'm the founder and managing director of Knowledge Train. We're a Prince2 training provider based here out of uh, London in the UK. Great. Welcome. Well, again, uh, again, I want to thank everybody for 
uh, coming to the hangout. It's uh, been fun get, trying to get everybody together, and, and for you guys, it's time for volunteering for this. So let's let's start with. Uh, uh, let me. I'm going to state the challenge that I gave to this. This is uh, something I came up with. Uh, I thought that I, I wanted to make sure that we had something that wouldn't be um, swinging one way or the other on the methodologies. Uh, and then, then I'm just going to. We'll each then take. Uh, each of the the um, methodologies will take ten minutes to share their their approach on how they would resolve this challenge or address this challenge, and then we'll come back uh, after after everybody has presented their approach. We will then have a discussion about each one of those approaches, and there might be some bantering between the different different approaches, but it will be fun and interesting. So here's the challenge. You're a project management consultant, and a company has engaged you to help them successful deliver, successfully deliver a mission-critical initiative. Their client, who is a municipality in their region, uh, your challenge is to describe how you would approach the, the project to meet the challenges and help the company deliver a successful project using the pre- preferred project management methodology. These are the key points and challenges of this project. One, the project is to, uh, is to implement a solution which would replace the city's public transportation scheduling system. Two, the city has chosen not to go with an out-of-the-box solution because they have not been able to find an existing solution that fits their needs, which includes scheduling for bus, subway, ferry, and van pools. Three, your, your client will be developing the solution from ground up. Four, the system will have to integrate with both the existing fare system and the city's accounting system. Five, your client is, to, is an accomplished software development company which, um, which have, has used multiple project management methodologies and development methodologies, so we're, we're assuming that they're versed in your favorite methodology. And finally, the city has the u- the usual constraints of budgets, timeframes, etc. So, all right, so, so there's the challenge. Let's start with uh, with uh, Elaine and Matthew or, uh, with the PMP, um, PMI approach. So take it away. Oh, by the way, I will, I'm going to be starting a, a timer here. So I'll I'll give you a little countdown when when we're getting close to the end. <laughs> All right. Okay. Can you see my Can you see my slides? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So um, I I just want to let everyone know I was intrigued by the fact that the other team had a PhD on board. So I I chose to go and do some more research and have some other people help me. So this is what we came up with. So for those of you not familiar with the PMI approach is that we have five process groups, nine, ten knowledge areas, and in each stage the, inter- the process groups and the knowledge areas interact so that we can control projects. So in this, in this particular project, it wasn't stated what was critical. It said there was a critical project. So I'm assuming, and it, I guess it's better to assume, because if you assume, then you would understand, you would take more precautions to identify a lot more risks than you, if you were to say, well, um, it's probably only only risk. So I assume that everything was critical. And so I 
my first step in handling this project would be to get assigned as the project manager. Um, and by doing that, we have to, I, I would look to make sure that I am listed as the project manager, that there is a project charter giving me the authorization to tell um, team members what to do to handle the resources on the project. I would create a business case, information that would be needed on understanding what's important. Why are they undertaking this project? How is this project aligning with any strategic objectives so that I can make sure that it's more successful? The assumptions would then lead me to the high-level assumptions that I would create in my initial documentation would then lead me to have uh, more sound information to work on for my risk. And so after writing the business case and the business charter, I would definitely be looking to be introduced as the PM to the team. Many times the team does not um, respond well to a project manager because maybe they were friends with the previous one. They're not happy the way the previous project manager was let go. So by being introduced, you need to give this person your, uh, your full uh, cooperation that basically sets the tone for getting the respect of the team. So I don't know if any of you in your areas have ever had those issues, but it is a real issue on projects where project managers are fighting with power for power with the business analysts, fighting with the team members to do what they need to do. So by getting senior management to authorize and set the tone moving forward, it makes it easier for a project manager to establish control. So I know if you notice on the slides here that the risk is high and the stakeholder influence is high in the beginning of the project. So I wanted to make sure those of you the PMI's approach to project management understand that because a lot of the um, uh, requirements and information gathering processes has not happened, um, the stakeholders would tend to be more leery of letting you have handle over millions and billions of their dollars because they don't know what you're going to do with it. But as you go through the whole reporting out what's going on the project, whether it's doing status reports or doing some kind of management, gain the opportunity to, to gain their trust and they now believe you know what you're doing because you're giving them status reports, you're, you're giving them bad news as well as good news so they know you're not going to hide anything, they're more willing to be less uh, uh, micromanaged on you. So my next step would be to meet with each department head, get their assessment of the current situation, and then um, what do they suggest as a fix as well as vendors that they already have in their hip pocket. Rather than putting out a bid and, and request for go with people that have been established already so that you're number one not adding additional risk with people know how to do the work that needs to be done, but you people that have a success record of achieving the project on time within budget that they have an ethical track and maybe, uh, maybe that they have connections with others so they come in as a team, it might be less expensive. Um, but I would definitely want to assess what is the most critical issue um, or sites for this, um, uh, for this project because you could have some infrastructures that are about to have a risk event, which means maybe the train or the, the ferry issues and now it sinks with 500 people on it, um, uh, ferries with um, uh, issues or issues with um, 
adding fuel to to the environment. Um, maybe it's leaking fuel into this into the into the um, into the water as it's going up and down channel to deliver people might be seen as as basically a problem. Maybe people aren't fishing right there, but the problem is you have contaminated water in the area where people are are uh, are transporting back and forth. So I want to just go to my last slide on here. I don't want to look at this slide this time if you'd like. But I wanted to really talk a little bit about sustainability management. I'm also part of greenprojectmanagement.org and um, I don't know if you can see this pretty well. Um, it was a lot of information but I wanted to make sure that you were aware that you know from a, a green project management point of view the project has to be sustainable in order to be seen as successful. We talk about the triple constraint, which is more than three things in PMI. We talk about time, cost, scope, but also quality, customer, satisfaction, risk. But when we talk about sustainability management in green project management, we're talking about is this project going to leave carbon footprints? Is it going to leave a trail of, of um, residue so that now people in the area are contaminated? Is it contaminating the planet? Is it profitable? Is it profitable and who is it profiting? The person who's doing the project or the people who have actually paid to have the project done? Are they seeing this as a, prof as a profitable project? So what I did was also list some of the project processes related to, and some of the issues I came up with was um, like handicap needs. Um, software needs, um, how is that related, and I wanted to also prioritize the risk. Um, and one of the areas that I think maybe some of you may not have captured is it, when you do this infrastructure changes, um, will this impact transportation for people that live in those areas? And what about the ambulance and fire uh, brigades that have to get through for emergencies? Will this hamper the saving of lives and also saving of, of properties because the, the traffic is so backed up that an ambulance is stuck for an hour and a half on the highway. So um, you can let me know, Matt, uh, Mark, any time that I need to stop. But I wanted to bring those points up. I know I only have 10 minutes. It's kind of hard to solve a project in 10 minutes. If you'd given me two days, I probably could keep talking. Um, but I want to also mention evaluating the vendors bid um, have a bid analysis. If it is that you then have vendors that are going, you're going to use, you still want them to come up with a, a solution. Even though they've done this, maybe have done this work before, you want to say how how can you work on this situation so that you're not assuming or using the halo effect on them to say because they've done good work before that they can do good work this time. Okay. So I'd like to just turn it over to Matt at this time, if okay. that's possible. Sure. I, we still have a few minutes left. Mark. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to yeah. violate the ten-minute rule here. <laughs> I'll, I'll be a little soft. <laughs> You're gonna go a little soft. Okay. Um, yeah, I just want to add a couple of things to to what Elaine had to say. Um, you know, we talk about the the, the sort of approach, um, the methodology, if you will, and and I think if we're especially sort of trying to draw some comparisons or differences between. Uh, the PMI quote approach and Prince Two or Agile and Scrum is is to remember that um, uh, the the PMI approach, if you will, is not really a methodology per se. Um, it, they really refer to it as a framework. Um, and in fact, go to, to great pains to note that uh, it is a framework and not a methodology. Although certainly some people turn those 
those process groups that we look at, initiation, planning, executing, controlling, uh, monitoring, and, cl and, and closing, and all that into, into you know, phases, but they're really not intended to be that way. Um, and the, the PMI framework is really uh, intended to act more like a toolbox. So there are certain tools that, you know, PMI will tell you uh, you really should use. For instance, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Elaine's first remark about having a project charter. You know, that's one that PMI pretty much says you really, really, really should have a project charter, right? It, it empowers the PM. Um, it gives you the, the authority to move forward with the project. But a lot of the other tools, whether it's risk assessment or stakeholder management or communications planning or whatever they may be, are really sort of the project manager's choice. And I think that's an important distinction. I've heard it said, and, I, and I'd love to hear what the, the Prince 2 guys have to say about this. Um, I've, I've heard it said that um, unlike Prince 2, uh, PMI's framework is not prescriptive, which is to say it doesn't tell you what you should do. It tells you what you can do. Um, and I think the Prince 2 stuff, I'd be really interested to hear this, goes a little bit further to say, well, you know, these are maybe the things that, that you should be doing versus could be doing. So I just want to point that distinction out. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. We have, uh, we've gotten a little bit, little bit more than a 10 minutes, but I'm okay if we go a little bit longer, if there's anything else specifically about the challenge that you wanted to add. Um. Yeah, well, I think to add to, to um, Elaine's points, I think certainly, again, the charter, uh, the business case, um, some of those things are good inputs. I will uh, mention I think the business case falls a little bit outside the framework, although PMI kind of looks at that. Um, but in any um, type of uh, project where you see the word public, public transportation, um, I think one of the key pieces that you've got to look at is stakeholder management. Um, and I, I think that's really key because your stakeholders are wide and broad. Um, so you not only have the, the hosting organization, if you will, or the purchasing organization, but you've got stakeholders that include, you know, people just walking by on the street, right? Or maybe people that are, that are you know, uh, fishing in the harbor that your boats are floating through, right? So your stakeholder uh, aspect of this is can be wa wide and broad, and so I think that's an area that really um, deems to, uh, a lot of focus because of the public nature and the and the wide footprint of this of uh, impact of this potentially. Okay, great. All right, then we'll thank you. Uh, we're gonna Simon. We're gonna move on to you. You have your your um, self muted, so please take yourself off of mute. And then Elaine, you still have your screen share on, so just select screen share again. So Simon. Prince 2, let's talk that. Okay, well, I think the first thing I would uh, say about this project, and in fact any project, is let's get down to some basic, core, good project management principles. And I'd say that the first principle is do we have a, can we justify the investment that's going to be required for this project? Now, this particular project we're told is mission critical. So if somebody's kind of taken that decision, what I would like to see is a good analysis of a good explanation of what is the business, what's the underlying business problem that we are facing here in the municipality? Um, what are the different options that we have uh, considered for solving this problem? Because of course, there's lots, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. So we need to be happy, we need to be confident that the chosen approach, which is to develop this new uh, solution 
to the the scheduling of the uh, um, the, the, the transport the whole load of money which is going to be wasted. So having a robust business case I think is absolutely critical for the success of the project. I think the second principle is that everybody who is in a position of authority and decision making within the project has to uh, clearly understand what they are responsible and accountable for. Because in my experience there's, there's lots of passing the book when things go wrong, people not wanting to accept responsibility for things or to be accountable. And I think part of the problem here is that people don't fully understand what their role is and what their authority, where their authority lies within projects. So I think when we're setting up our project management team at the very beginning, we need to clearly define what those roles are. And I'm talking here not just about the project manager role. There will be team managers, there will be the project board, uh, those of you who are not familiar with Project Board, this is the higher level of management to whom the project manager reports. And it's the Project Board who are taking the key decisions on the project. I think a third good principle is let's not repeat all the same mistakes that we've seen happen on lots of previous projects. Uh, so let's learn the lessons. What are the good things from previous projects we want to uh, take and incorporate and build upon in this project? What are the bad things that we want to avoid uh, repeating on this project? Uh, the fourth principle, I would say, is let's, let's have the right level of control uh, and let's break down our project into multiple stages. And the stages that we're going to divide the project into will form decision points for our project board where they can decide whether it's still a worthwhile investment to continue or if it turns out not to be a good and worthwhile investment. And therefore, perhaps finishing and closing a project prematurely shouldn't necessarily be seen as a failure. It's always better to, to end the project prematurely if things emerge, which mean that it's no longer a worthwhile investment. Now, setting the right, uh, the right level of control and having the right number of stages uh, comes back to Matthew's uh, question, uh, which he was posing about Prince too. How many stages we should have on a project? So I think then breaking down the project into a number of stages, we'll need to weigh up a number of factors. How risky is this project, for one? How important is it to the municipality? Well, I think in this case, we're told it's mission critical. It should be uh, pretty important to them. Uh, and therefore, if, it's, if, we, if we can assess this project as being kind of high risk, that tells us we will need more stages uh, to give more control to the project board. Uh, a fifth and related principle will be that the board will manage by exception. In other words, Whoever those decision makers are, we can assume, safely assume, that they will be senior people within the municipality. They will have lots of other responsibility uh, in their normal kind of everyday kind of work. And therefore, they, they don't need to be involved day to day in our project because, of course, they'll be delegating uh, authority down to the project manager who will manage day by day. 
Now, that therefore means that the project manager doesn't have to have regular meetings with the, the project board. This is something that Prince2 uh, uh, stresses quite highly because, of course, we can uh, provide reports on a regular basis to the board reporting the progress and we will probably have a meeting at the end of each stage to decide whether to continue. So that's a big benefit for the senior management because they don't have to be involved day by day. Uh, a sixth principle I would say that we shouldn't forget is that don't let our project become activity focused. Uh, let's always focus on what we're delivering because it's only what we're going to deliver back to the customer at the end which is going to help them realize the benefits for them. So we shouldn't ever lose sight of the actual outputs of our project and therefore everything, every plan that we develop in our, in our project should start off by answering the question, what do we have to deliver as part of this plan? Um, and the last principle is let's not take although I'm a kind of Prince2 person, let's not take the Prince2 guidance and the Prince2 manual and think that everything inside that manual must be done in exactly the way that it's described in the manual. And this is, comes back to, to Matthew's question again, which is that we have to tailor the method. We have to tailor it to suit the different needs of each project. Small projects, low-risk projects will require a much, much looser or, if you like, agile uh, adoption of Prince2, whereas much uh, riskier, uh, high-profile projects, large projects, may require a more kind of thorough uh, use of Prince2. So I think if we, if we take these kind of core seven principles and not forget them in everything that we do, it's going to help us uh, and help the municipality uh, have a better outcome at the end. Wow! So you, thank you. That that was that was interesting. I'm I'm very interested in uh, Prince too because out of all the methodologies that we have here, uh, that's the one I'm not very familiar with. So you're at about eight minutes. So you, uh, you, are you uh, other things you wanted to discuss? Um. Well, I, I mean, I think that there's, there's probably a lot to discuss here in terms of the similarities or the differences between, for example, PMI, the PMP, the PMBOK, PMBOK and PRINCE2. But um, the way that I see PRINCE2 is it provides a framework for the client organization which allows them to establish control over what happens. And it differs from the Scrum stuff, which the, the, the other guys are going to be talking about later on, uh, which I see more as a kind of development methodology, which operates more at the team level. But what Prince2 is, 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 is much more than that, because it, it, it enables the organization to work with development methodologies such as Scrum and Agile approaches, but also it doesn't lose sight of the bigger picture. Is it, why are we spending all this money why are we doing all this uh, work uh, and what is the business problem that we're trying to solve here? Because at the end of our project, we're going to be delivering stuff back into our business. That's going to change the way in which they work. It's going to help the, the client, the customer, the business realize benefits. And if we lose sight of that in anything that we do, then we're in serious trouble. 
Great. All right. Thank you, Simon. Uh, let's let's go to um, Alan and David, and who uh, for you guys to take an approach from uh, the agile point of view. And yeah, then Alan's, Alan's going to kick off, but before he does, I just wanted to say that contrary to what Elaine said, some people think a PhD is a deficit, not a uh, not an assist. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like I say to David, I don't hold the P- his PhD against him. Uh, so uh, this has been an interesting discussion, and I, I wanted to key on something that Simon gave me an excellent segue. Um, he, is, he is correct that if you're talking about pure Scrum, right, if, if we're going to say uh, Scrum is our Agile methodology or our Agile framework, I like to call it a framework, um, then uh, Scrum in a pure sense, uh, definitely focuses straight onto um, uh, the team and how the team evolves and, and works. So we do need to apply some other ideas to help us keep the big picture in mind and keep us the big keep the big goal in mind. So I'd like to set a little bit of context and then talk about some specific things we can do to maintain that context within handling this project in an agile way. So um, first of all, um, one of the things that we have to always hang on to is um, the vision of the product. In other words, what is the vision of what we're trying to create here? Uh, we need to be able to uh, talk about what the benefits are from a big perspective, both the benefits to the company that's doing the software development and to their client. Um, after the vision, Sorry, is, Alan, that, that's yes. a little fuzzy. It's a little fuzzy, that vision. Just, yes. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so then as we go on, um, is, is everybody seeing Matt? I'm going to be holding up these pictures, and I want to be able to see, see things. I see you, Alan. Okay, good. All right, so, um, so below, uh, as we talk about a vision, um, the next thing we need to talk about um, is to come up with a strategy that will support that vision, and I, my writing is not so good sometimes. All right, and then after the after we have some strategy mapped out and some things like that, then we can talk about well, what is the first release of this software or this project going to be? What are the pieces that we can deliver soonest or within some limited time frame, say three months or something like that, to create a release that supports the strategy that supports the vision? Um, this release plan will let us then plan sprints or iterations. Um, Sprints will have specific goals as to what they create to support the release, etc. And then we're now getting down into Scrum proper, where in Scrum we have daily meetings. That creates our daily planning level, right? So all of these things, the vision and the strategy and the release and the sprints and our daily meeting, all need to feed each other and feed back into the details of what is provided there so that they all kind of update each other and inform each level of planning so that, for example, three months from now when we realize that a certain piece of the functionality may be like the ferry scheduling for our scheduling system is not as important as we thought, then that can adjust the vision, adjust the strategy, and adjust our planning to match where we need to go next and what we've learned. So how do we kick all this off and how do we make it happen? Um, one of the things that I've seen very successful when doing a project like this and kicking it off, 
We're going to take all the teams involved that are expected to be working on this project. We're going to also involve the key people within the, the company that was creating this, such as the managers and even the CEO or somebody at a higher, higher levels. We're also going to need to have, in this case, we're going to have need to involve people from the client. In particular, because we have to connect to the existing fare system and the existing counting system, we're going to need people from, from the client that know the counting systems and the fare systems so that they can be part of our planning. A um, release, what I like to call a release kickoff uh, workshop. Okay, and the release kickoff workshop is going to address each of these levels that we have defined here. We're going to have uh, the the CEO or perhaps even the lead person at the client would be the ideal, would come in and tell us about the vision. Why are they doing this? <coughs> Why is it important to them? What are the benefits they expect to get? Um, the product managers Product managers will, will then tell everybody that's involved here, this large group of people, about the, uh, the strategy and the other things we're going to do, the t technology and perhaps even the architecture of what we're gonna ha what's going to happen. Then we're going to use some tools that are very common, that are becoming more common in Agile. We're going to do things like um, story mapping, story mapping, um, empathy maps, personas, all of these things help us figure out that release level to define how a user needs to use the system. What are the things that a user needs to accomplish? Not what the features are, but what are the goals of the user to actually to get out of this system, right? And all of these things feed then into sprint plans and daily plans that can allow us to come out of a release kickoff workshop. It might last two or three days. With all of the teams that are involved, we have the client there, we have the client technology representatives there. They're all helping us build a product wall or a product map that tells us where we're going and what the vision is of all this work. So that by the time we're at the end, we can come out with two or three sprints planned and get started doing the work. You want anything you have anything to add, David? Um, I just wanted to generalize a little bit on what you were saying, Alan, okay. and kind of answer what Simon was saying is that uh, Agile is much more than Scrum. Agile is really uh, defined by some principles about how we do work and how we involve stakeholders and how we involve the teams. And I think the the breakdown you went through exemplifies that. But I, yeah, I think it's it's a mistake to think that Scrum defines Agile. It's it's one flavor of Agile, but it's much larger. The other thing I would add is. Uh, in this case, I think there's an excellent opportunity to bring in some uh, some thoughts from Lean Startup where we could, because we've got an existing system, we, as we continue and as we get our development going, we get through the first couple releases, we could start doing some A-B testing. And for certain select users, try the new system or sub-parts of the new system and see how they can impair, start getting early user feedback before we've got the, the whole thing done and ready to go live. So maybe if we take an approach where the first thing we do is the ferry scheduling, we could start rolling that out to select users, getting their feedback, understanding are we meeting their needs. Because from the scenario, there's something deficient in the current system. Uh, I'm assuming it's not just maintainability. I'm assuming there's some, some functional deficits in the current system. And we can start testing to see if we're addressing those or not. 
Yeah, you you bring up a point that I wanted to add. What we, what we've come out of out of this release planning workshop is we're going to go after slices, right? Small slices of the functionality. Um, we're not going to plan out everything that the system could possibly do. As we do this story app mapping, we'll decide what are the most important pieces that need to be done first. What are the most risky pieces that need to be done first? Um, what are the places that we have the most questions about? Let's look at those first. So maybe we might end up just doing, for example, the ferry system, the ferry scheduling. Maybe that's the simplest one to do first. And so we would work on ferry scheduling, and and maybe the first sprint or two would be let's cre create some basic ferry scheduling and let's do some very basic interfaces to the accounting system and to the fare system so that we can prove that we know how to do that. That might be the riskiest places, so let's make sure we can actually talk to those various databases and systems, work really well and tightly with the client to make those interfaces start working. We need to address that very early. So we're going to make small slices, test them like you suggested, David, prove that they're working right, prove that they accomplish the goals that the user needs, and then we can start saying, well, what's the next slice that's the most important? Let's get down to details on that next slice and over time, we'll we'll get the whole thing built up in a priority. Yeah. I think you're you're bringing up another really uh, valuable part of Agile in this scenario, Alan, and that is the idea that we'll be doing demos to stakeholders as we progress. So as we work through the iterations, the sprints, or so or every you know, however when we roll it up, at some level we're going to be showing our users and stakeholders demonstrating some functionality to them so that if we've got a requirement that we didn't understand what the user meant or the stakeholder meant or the stakeholder didn't really know what they want, we can show them, here's what we've created, is this what you wanted, does this start to meet the need and get that feedback early when there's you know, still a, uh, a large window of opportunity to make changes rather than find that out late. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if I could just comment on that uh, a little bit, if uh, if I could, Mark. Um, well, I, I, actually, Simon, what I, what I'd like to do is <clears throat> I would like to go through, um, you know, and so hold on to that thought, if you would. Let's sure. let's. Uh, is there David and Alan? Is there anything else that you wanted to point out about um, the your approach on solving the problem before we the the next step? What we're going to do is we're going to take probably about five minutes, focus on each one of the methodologies. And the panel is going to um, bring up questions or issues or, or concerns or, or maybe even the, you know, the, the accolades for that methodology. Uh, so I want to go through that round. But before we do, Alan and, and uh, David, anything final to, to wrap up on that? No, well, I can't think of too much to talk about further, except uh, you know, obviously, even the agile, the agile process or the agile thing to do is to go after priority, go after high risk first, and then understand that you're doing slices and demonstrating them as you go. And I think that's the biggest benefit you get from agile stuff, as David pointed out. Yeah, and the other the other kind of bottom line thing I'd add is. You, you can scale Agile. It can be applied beyond the team level. There are some, some frameworks that are defined and getting traction in the community that that are really pretty good about rolling that up to a, a higher level than just the team level. Okay. Okay, great. Let's let's turn the discussion to, like I said, about five minutes. We're going to, um, I, I guess, grill each one of the methodologies or frameworks. <laughs> grill. Uh, 
<laughs> and so let's let's go back to PMI PMP framework methodology. And uh, so panelists, any questions, concerns, uh, thoughts about what Elaine and Matthew had to present? Uh, and make sure Matthew, you're still on mute. Let's. Uh, yep. Okay. Sure. So, any concerns, questions about uh, their their approach? Well, yeah. Can I can I ask something? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think it was something Matthew said about uh, C P P M I P M P the pin book as a kind of toolbox, uh, and the project manager can kind of select which tools from the box to be using on their project. Do you think because the if you read the the pin book, uh, I mean, for example, when I first read the pin book, it was like. I probably took in about 1% or 2% at most of what it was saying because it seemed to be like overly complex. And I, I get the sense that people who come to the PMBOK may be overwhelmed by the kind of the different techniques and tools which are available and therefore in some ways can hinder them being effective as opposed to helping them. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, well, first of all, kudos to you for reading it. I find it's an excellent replacement for sleeping pills. <laughs> you know, if, you wanna, if you're having trouble getting to sleep, it's a good idea to read the Pimbok. Um, but but I, I will comment on that. I mean, absolutely, I think it can be um, overwhelming because if if you – uh, think, oh, more, you know, I have to use all of this stuff, um, it, it absolutely can be uh, too much. In a larger project, certainly it becomes more um, realistic to think that you might use all these tools. Um, but the other part, I just want to kind of shift a little bit in terms of defending, because I'll tell you, honestly, um, even without having been challenged, I feel uh, a little bit uh, defensive about PMI's approach, if you will, because uh, when we talk about a, a, a waterfall approach versus, say, agile, um, the fact is, software development. I, I'm a big fan of the agile approach. It's 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 great for software development. So in our in our case study here, it's a little bit hard to defend the the PMI waterfall type approach, if you will. Having said that, I think that uh, if you're talking about project delivery frameworks. Um, that one of the ways that PMI allows you to sort of get over the hump is to talk about doing things um, like phased approach that was mentioned earlier, um, doing what they call progressive elaboration, taking a piece uh, uh, like the ferry piece, for instance, and going through some of the process work that you need to do, whether it's some of your discovery, um, some of your initial uh, planning and workshops and things like that, defining designs um, and, and doing that kind of um, groundwork uh, to be able to do uh, functional specifications, those kinds of things, but in short iterations. And so in that sense, um, you have the ability to get away from what I think is one of the a big, um, uh, let's say, challenges or that people tend to challenge PMI with, which is, oh, it's big and long and, and you know, waterfall and it takes forever to deliver anything. And I think that can be true. Um, unless you understand that PMI will allow you to chunk stuff and you can do very small iterations and you can do, um, you know, phased approach kind of stuff. And, and I think that helps a lot to 
also simplify because it means that I don't have to use every tool in the box uh, every time I go through uh, a phase or an iteration of, of the solution. Yeah, welcome to the Agile team, Matthew. Right, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's true. It's hard to defend big waterfall stuff. Uh, you know, from in, in my uh, viewpoint, especially in the software and development environment, but it doesn't mean that you can't apply some of the disciplines that, that PMI uh, uh, suggests, if you will. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out to me is a difference between the PMI approach and the traditional Agile approach was the PMI approach I was hearing lots of command and control kinds of conversation mm. as opposed to um, Agile Lean, which is more of a collaborative, keep your eye on the people doing the work, they know best how to get it done, and involve them um, in building the plans up. I don't know if that's, uh, if I was reading things into what I was hearing or if that's really where PMI is, but I think the the idea of, you know, comes out of the Toyota way that, the people doing the work are the ones that are going to figure out best how to get that work done. If you give them a clear vision and some clear boundaries, they're going to find the best way. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little, there's, there's some conflicted aspects of that. Um, certainly, um, there's this this concept of empowering the PM, right? And the PM shall be the leader and shall go forth and lead the project. Um, but there's, versus the agile approach that's certainly more empowering the teams and the people that know how to do the work. On the other hand, um, PMI does tell you that, well, but, you know, when it comes to doing things like work estimates um, and developing schedules and understanding, you know, work packages, your work breakdown, whatever that may be, however you want to call it that, um, that you need to use your subject matter experts, that you need to um, leverage others, your team members, because um, you shouldn't assume that just because you're the project manager, uh, and in fact, we all know most of the time it's not the case, you're the, that you're not necessarily the expert, right, in a, in a given area, um, but that you're the, the orchestrator of those experts. So I think there's a balance there, um, but but clearly it, it, it feels like, you know, sometimes it's, it's conflicting messaging from PMI. I'd agree with that. If it makes you feel any better, Matthew... Uh, the criticism which is leveled at uh, PMI, the PMBOK, is also the same one which is leveled at Prince2. Prince2 is also seen as the old style, the old fashioned, top down, uh, you know, all the big design up front kind of waterfall approach. Right. And I mean, it can be, and it has been used like that, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, one of the fact that one of the seven principles of Prince2 says you should tailor the method to right. suit your your needs means it's incredibly flexible okay and the way I see uh, the the, the pinbok is and one of the one of the the weaknesses of Prince 2 is there's actually only two techniques in there yeah whereas there's a whole lot of techniques and tools and methods which you have in the pinbok which we don't have in Prince 2 and we should take as Prince 2 practitioners and project managers we should take those and use them and I also see, uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm sitting on the fence here because I'm saying both the Pimbok is good, uh, Prince 2 as well, but also I think the Agile stuff is good. And I think that the Agile uh, stuff is certainly something that should be used by the teams. I'm all in favor of empowering teams and letting the people who know the work day to day get on with doing it. We still have to set that in an overall context of understanding why we're doing it 
and are we going to realize the benefits of investing all this money? Uh, but I have a question for the um, for Alan and David about Agile, and that is, I mean, this particular challenge is a software project, mm. and that's where Agile has come from. But other than software projects, what kind of projects do you think Agile is best suited for? For example, could you use Agile on uh, building a, a 40 story uh, skyscraper? Yeah, well, I'll do better than that. Uh, essentially, <laughs> if you want to look, if you if you look into the history of the Empire State Building, read the history of how it was built. It, 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 the floor plans for each floor was only drawn just before they built the floor. Um, the okay. people that built that building were so skilled at building buildings that they didn't need to create a big design up front. They actually built it. They made an overall plan that they presented to their investors, but they actually built all the details and everything else as they went. It was roughly essentially a Kanban system as they built that that building. They had it all down to a science where trucks would arrive once a minute and get unloaded with materials. And they would plan stories just before they built them. Um, so yes, you can use uh, Kanban or Agile type methodologies to create physical products. I've seen Scrum and Agile or other Agile methodologies applied to marketing, to sales, to teaching, to uh, creation. My first experience with Agile was creating hardware creating uh, military SSDs, uh, solid-state drives, where we had both firmware, which is software, and uh, programmable hardware and hardware. And we would integrate all that together and, and do it as an Agile way as much as we could. Um, so I, I think Agile, if you look at the Agile Manifesto, are more about designs, or, or I'm sorry, they're more about ideas, philosophies, and mindsets. and those mindsets and philosophies of collaboration and creating small slices that you're delivering quickly, the, those ideas can be applied to many different types of work. Not that they're perfect for everything. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll second what Alan said, but, but add, I think that a lot of that really is lean, lean development or lean, uh, lean methodologies, and I think in many ways Agile is lean for software. And if you've, if you've got that kind of focus, then yeah, you can apply that many, many places. If you're thinking about, for example, constructing a building, you, you have to apply intelligence and say, if I'm building a supermax prison, I better do lots of work up front, design, figure out where I need uh, you know, rock-solid walls and where I don't and what, you know, what kind of security features I need to have. The other end of the spectrum, if I'm going to build a, uh, a hunting shack out in the country, I probably don't care too much what the foundation looks like because I can make changes easily and move the plumbing around without too much trouble. So you have to scale the amount of, of upfront work that you do to the project that you're doing. Simon, you made an interesting um, point there. Uh, it's interesting because I, I was very purposeful on how I put together the challenge. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I didn't want to lock anybody out, and I know that so, uh, agile, especially for the from a scrum point of view, is is really soft. It, the software industry has really embraced agile, uh, and and there's reasons for that. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, but I also uh, in the uh, in the challenge, I also wanted to make sure I brought in the fact that 
this was a municipality. So the the questions that I have, uh, to me, if I understand Prince Two, Prince Two grew up um, from the UK uh, government, and from the from the Scrum point of view, boy, I I have a tough time seeing a government in, um, agency. Um, being agile enough to be able to to take on Scrum. So, what do you guys think about those two things? Hmm. I'll I'll jump in. Um, so, there's there's an interesting uh, conundrum that we have very often, and and this is not even in government work, right? Is the the traditionally most uh, contracts and projects are structured to be fixed scope, fixed budget and fixed schedule. Um, and this, especially in government, you would kind of expect that. Um, so the difficulty that I didn't address as I was talking and drawing my, my scribbles um, is the cultural difficulty, right? Is, is this client willing to allow us to deliver them slices of functionality and with the understanding that we'll do the most important stuff first, but they might, when the money runs out or the schedule runs out, they may not have everything that they thought they wanted to start with. And are they willing to be a participant in the project? Are they going to be there for every demo? Are they going to be there to provide us feedback so that we really are giving them the value they need, even though we haven't promised to give them all of the scope within a fixed time frame? Um, so there's a huge discussion to have there with your client about these trade-offs between fixed scope, fixed, fixed time, fixed schedule, all those kinds of things to help them understand that we're going after value, highest value first. We're not going after everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah, it's actually one of the areas that, um, that I've uh, sort of had to think through with some customers in terms of uh, some of the challenges around, for instance, annual budgeting and funding, and you know how do you how do you do that with a uh, an agile development environment? If I'm sort of doing this, you know, uh, rolling wave planning, for lack of a better word, uh, from a PMI perspective, um, you know, and, and it's time for me to go to annual budgeting right around this time of year. Uh, or maybe last month for a lot of people. Um, how do I do that if, if, if you know if you can't tell me what it's going to cost to deliver X and Y and Z functionality over the course of the next 12 or 18 months? Um, I think you know. I wonder how you, how you handle that. Well, what what you have to do is change the conversation by producing results, right? Okay. There's two things that happen. One is because I'm producing results early and they get to actually use stuff then um, they're less worried about holding me to the fire to get everything, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and then the second thing that, we, that, that tends to happen is that we have to have a conversation about how um, their participation helps drive the direction of the project. Um, I, I have yet to, f I haven't found yet, if I put, if I take a traditional project manager who loves Gantt charts and loves you know a one and a half year plan that never changes, um, <laughs> and I've encountered them. If I if I can get them to be honest, they will tell me, yeah, the plan changes. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Yeah, here's this feature that they said they really needed, 
but in reality, we never delivered it and nobody complained. Mm -hmm. So, so the truth is, everything changes. Agile just makes that explicit, and a lot of people have a hard time with that, with sure. facing that reality. Yeah, if I can jump in for a second, Alan, I think um, a point that is lurking in the background of what you're saying is, we start out and the customer tells us getting the ferry scheduling is the most important thing, and then after that, it's van pools. And we go off and we do the ferry scheduling, and they look at it and go, wow, that's great, but you know what? We decided we don't care so much about van pools now. Now we care about the bus schedules more than we care about van pools. We really haven't scheduled out anything be, you know, very far in great detail what we're doing beyond the current work. So we're going to be agile, if you will, and we can adapt that schedule to the customers changing priorities as they start to see the work being delivered and the value being delivered, and they understand they're going to change their minds. I'm sure you've seen that, Matt, that sure. what, what they say they wanted six months ago isn't what they want today. Well, right, and in fact, PMI stresses um, that uh, another one of these sort of must-haves, if you will, although they don't go quite that far, uh, like the charter, is to have some type of change management capability in place because, you know, we all know, right, change is, is the one constant. Um, we're going to get it. You need to have a way to deal with it. Um, and, and I think from a, from a PMI practitioner perspective, um, what that means is um, it's, it's inherent um, but at the same time, there's there's sort of overhead associated with that, which is to say, it's not it's not uh, uh, instilled within the within the framework. It's it's something that I have to do. Up, oh, you know, there's a change. Okay, gotta go manage it. As opposed to uh, even though we're in, we're anticipating it, um, it's 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 sort of viewed as oh variance, you know. Uh, something that is is different from the plan, and I, I, that may be a subtle difference, but I think you feel it as you're either participating in or being part of a team that has to say, "Oh, change, hold on, you know, time out, hold the phone. We gotta we gotta assess and and understand that." And it's maybe less less fluid um, than you might have in an agile environment, but certainly it's a it's a required component, if you will, um, to being able to to use a PMI type of approach. Uh, because we know change is going to happen. Absolutely, we all know that. So, so let me, I'm sorry. Let me break in. Yeah, please. I was going to wanted to turn it over to you. So, yeah, uh, I mean, project managers have always had to grapple with the the uh, the three sides of the project triangle: the time, the cost, the scope. And if you increase one, it's going to increase at least one of the other sides. So, pr what Prince, the, the approach Prince takes is that actually some of these things, we can't predict uh, them so precisely. So we can't predict, for example, the time or the cost so precisely. But it goes beyond that and says uh, there's actually six things which we uh, should really kind of be managing here. So we've got time, we've got cost, we've got quality, we've got scope, we've got, uh, did I say risk uh, and benefits. And Prince has the approach of enabling each level of the project management team to uh, set tolerances uh, for each of these six targets. So, for example, you might be able to overrun a little bit on cost or underspend on cost. You might be able to deliver a little bit late or deliver a little bit early. And these things, these tolerances um, are set by each level and enable uh, more control, if you like, from each level to the level below. 
and I think that's a kind of one of the good things uh, about Prince 2. Uh, and I think that also means that it can work with the agile stuff at the team level because uh, I know that in on the agile sense you have no concept of uh, time tolerance. Yeah, because you have the the sprints where you're going to deliver the next iteration, and there's no way that can be late. But what you do have in in agile is the concept of scope tolerance. So you you either you take out the features if you're not going to be able to release uh, all those uh, at the end of your time slice. So um, that's 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 an exciting aspect of Prince too, Simon. I. I because I'll have to go look into that a little more. Um, uh-huh. I like the idea of having, you know, sliders, as it were, to say time is more important and budget is less important or whatever those sliders might be uh, mm-hmm. of those different aspects. That's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, I, uh, I, we need to wind up. It has been a little over an hour now. Um, Lane had to drop off. She had told us that uh, at the beginning. I want to thank each one of you guys. Um, th- this was this was fun. It was great. Um, I, I didn't see anybody hit anybody virtually, which was good. <laughs> you didn't see the emails going back and forth. <laughs> David, that was a fist bump, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, Alan, David, Matthew, Simon, thank you so much. And Elaine, thank you so much for coming up with the idea. Um, uh, I suspect we will be doing something similar to this in the future. Uh, again, uh, l- let's go around the room. Last com- uh, parting comment. Um, this, this, I, I, I learned a lot from this, but last per- parting comment, and then just if you wanted to share how people can contact you if you would like to have them do that. Alan. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I do want to say that... Uh, some of the most uh, meticulous and smart people that I've encountered um, are project managers, uh, and and whether they're traditional or agile, when they can apply those skills they have to look for things and f- watch how a project moves, um, that's a good benefit to have. So I appreciated learning more about Prince2 in particular um, in this session, and uh, uh, and thank you for your time, everybody. Um, I, I can be found uh, on Twitter as Daily Agile is my Twitter handle, and um, you can find me on Google Plus, of course. Uh, and I don't mind getting emails at a d a y l e y at bigvisible dot com. Thanks, Alan. David. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to participate this morning. I had a great time. I learned a lot. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. The one kind of parting shot I would have is I think there's something that the traditional PMI kind of perspective, and I suspect uh, Prince2 as well, does that I think Agile could learn from, and that's the risk management aspects. It's it's built into Agile, but I think um, having an explicit focus on your risks and monitoring them and understanding how you're buying down your risk as the project progresses is an important thing that comes from those more traditional, if you will, methodologies that, that Agile could take a take a lesson from. As far as contact, uh, best way is D Hammerslag, that's H-A-M-M-E-R-S-L-A-G at bigvisible.com. And thanks again for letting me participate with you all this morning. Thank you, David. Matthew. 
Um, well, sure. Last uh, parting comments. Um, I'll, I guess I'll just say that, um, uh, again, sort of, I think a lot of the PMI folks feel a little, you know, back on their heels sometime, and, and probably rightly so. Um, Gartner reported not that long ago that um, by 2015, 80% of uh, all IT companies will have shifted to agile methods. Um, and I can feel the gloating right through the screen right here, you know. Um, but that, that, you know, that's the fact. I mean, I think it has a lot of tremendous benefits. Um, and, uh, and so I think we all, you know, need to, to recognize that and adapt and understand that, um, you know, customers are looking for faster, better, quicker, easier, and all of that. And certainly Agile does a lot of things in that regard. So, um, you know, kudos to the, to the people that know how to deliver that. Um, there's still, I think, a place for the traditional stuff, but, but PMI is, is adjusting as well. They're recognizing the, the shifting face of, of project management, if you will. So, and I think that's a good thing. Um, in terms of contact, man, uh, contact um, easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me at M A T T Davis PMP, M A T T T D A V I S PMP on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, direct emails at matriplettdavis at comcast.net. Um, and all my contact information is on, uh, on my LinkedIn page. And thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Matthew. Just to, just to point out your, your comment about how Agile has taken over the world. Um, <laughs> it, we all know it's, it, it, it is making great progress. Um, I, I am also a, a scrum master as well. Uh, and we, we actually, I, I'd like to refer people to, um, a hangout we, I did with Joseph Flahiff, uh, back, uh, boy, several months ago. Uh, it was t- entitled being agile in a waterfall world. Uh, that was hangout number 11. And really, I think that's what we find ourselves in. And in, in part of the discussion we've had here is, is really, a lot of times we are forced into a waterfall world because of maybe the environment we're having or the culture, uh, but yet we can still pull in agile concepts and, and principles. So that was a great hangout uh, if you ever want to go back and, and look at that one, uh, hangout number 11. So uh, g- good point. Thank you very much. Simon, let's end with you. Uh, yeah, well, the first thing I'd like to say, uh, thanks to Mark for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this chat and thanks to the other guys here on the panel and Elaine because I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, In particular I found what Alan was saying about the use of uh, agile or possibly I think lean methods to development of the empire state building I found a fascinating little example which makes me want to go and read more about that. Um, I don't think any particular kind of approach has all of the answers all of the time. I think I probably prefer to say that uh, all approaches have some of the answers some of the time. And in that way, I'm kind of going to continue to sit on the fence and say, let's all use uh, a bit of each other's kind of approaches to help us deliver what, at the end of the day, is most important, which is to deliver something of benefit to our customers. Boy, Alan, I couldn't agree with you more on that last point. Uh, ultimately, um, we need to deliver value to our customers. And if uh, if we don't br- bring value to the customers, um, what what's the use? Uh, you didn't, Simon. You didn't uh, give any plug as how to how to contact you or anything like that. Do you want to share anything there? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I forgot to say you can people can contact me by searching for my name on LinkedIn, on Google Plus, 
uh, or you can email me, which is uh, simon at knowledgetrain.co.uk. Great. Thanks again, everybody, for uh, being on the panel. And those of that are listening to this, uh, I've, I thoroughly have enjoyed this and uh, want you guys to have a great day. Good night or good day. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I know that was long, but I thoroughly enjoyed that the discussion, and I hope you did too. I learned a lot about the different methodologies, especially Prince 2, which I had no familiarity with. And it was fun to listen to how each team approached the challenge and a little bit of that bantering that happened at the end. And, and it seemed to me that all the panelists seemed to bring out the point that Agile really is, I won't say take on over the whole world, but Agile is really, uh, whether you exercise Agile or Scrum in its entirety, or you start, or we start to pick up portions or parts of, uh, Scrum or Agile methodologies. That seems to be happening throughout the project management community. Now, I'd like to ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, if you would go to iTunes and leave me a review, that helps me as a podcaster to be able to, to uh, move my podcast up in the ranks and to be able to get this in front of more people. The other thing is, is if I would love to hear what your thoughts are about how you might approach this challenge that was given in this podcast. So if you would go to sensiblepm.com slash 11, you'll, go, you'll find the show notes for this episode. Uh, go to the bottom, and if you would share with me your thoughts about how you would approach this challenge using your favorite methodology or project management methodology or framework. I would love to be able to keep this discussion going and hear what uh, other people have to think about uh, about this challenge and about the specific methodologies of your choice. So I hope you had a great time. And uh, now remember, the Sensible Project Manager always looks for a practical way to manage a project to success. You've been listening to the Sensible Project Manager, Mark Phillippe, on the Sensible Project Manager podcast. To learn more about practical project management, visit us at sensiblepm.com.